Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Justin, we have a podcast. Diving, diving deep. deep. Diving deep into all things Texas. Both on and off the field. Here's Sean Pendergast and Pro Football Hall of Famer, the General, Sean McClain. Welcome, welcome to Utopia. Hey everybody, welcome in. It is the Utopia Football Podcast, our second episode of the week. The Texans sitting at 3-3. Three and three. It is a bye week coming up. We will have one more episode for you coming up later this week. Today is a mailbag episode, Mailbag at gmail.com. If you want to send in any questions, uh, Texans, Astros, football related, whatever it is, you can send Mailbag at gmail.com as we welcome you in. I'm Sean Pendergast, one half of Payne and Pendergast mornings on Sports Radio 610, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host and good friend, the Hall of Famer and our senior columnist at SportsRadio610.com, John McClain. Um, John, no Texans game to really sink our teeth into this week, 3-3. Three and three. Nice record for the Texans, I think, based on expectations so far this year. Nick Casario met with the media earlier today. Um, we're recording this uh, shortly after lunchtime on Tuesday. Um, you were at Nick Casario's press conference, John, uh, and for the festivities. I was. What were the big things? That, what were the big? I didn't get to see it. I had a lunch, John. So you tell me. This is the first I'm hearing. What were the big takeaways from Nick Casario six weeks into the 2023 season? First of all, there were no, there was no negativity, no negative questions. I didn't even ask him about the running game. Uh, I'm writing a column for SportsRadio610.com on. Him and D'Amico Ryans and how he had to learn D'Amico's talent evaluation skills so when D'Amico made recommendations, he would trust him. And it's worked pretty well considering the free agents and the draft and how well they're doing right now. And he wouldn't give any credit to the 3-3 three and three record to himself. He talked about D'Amico, assistant coaches, players, and I said, well, what about the general manager who has final say on personnel, but he just wouldn't give himself any credit. And that's part of uh, his charm, I guess you could say, but uh, he spread around enough love, but he's quick to say, Hey, just three and three. And he got a bye week got a lot of self scouting. Then they move on to Panthers. And uh, he was asked a lot about, about himself and a lot about D'Amico and why the team is doing as well as it is under Miko, what's impressed him. And then, of course, you can imagine, got a lot of questions about C.J. Stroud and how well he's doing. And the first thing he talked about was poise. And I think that's one of the things that impresses everybody 
his poise, whether it's when starting on the first series or when he's had a little adversity, he never changes. He doesn't let it affect him. And uh, somebody asked him if, uh, if <laughs> I would never have asked this, if at this six, ga- six games, if anything that he does reminds Nick of Tom Brady because he oh, was there yeah. for the first Brady's first season and the fact that uh, Brady has become kind of a mentor uh, for C.J. Stroud because they were set up. What's the guy's name? For, oh, uh, uh, Ruben, Michael. The, Michael Rubin, the fanatics.com yeah. yeah. He's had them together a couple of times, and, and, and Stroud says he listens to Brady. That's smart. He should listen to Brady, but it would have been unfair for Casario to compare. Number one, you couldn't compare Brady's first six games to – Strouds because Brady didn't play in 2000. And uh, so he kind of shied away from that, but he did talk about the things he liked about Stroud. And as usual, Nick talked a lot. Didn't say much, but there were enough nuggets out of there to come up with two or three column ideas. Okay, good. Well, that's good. And, I, and you know, John, I would say that, um, you know, and I think even Nick would say this too and D'Amico, that the hope is that they get to a time with this franchise – that if they're three and three at this juncture in the season, that there are negative questions, you know, that the expectations have changed, that three and three is not good enough at this time of year. Three and three is exceeding most everybody's expectations at this point, at this juncture in the season. And the schedule looks, you know, relatively speaking, looks very manageable the rest of the way. Um, so uh, did anybody ask any questions about uh, Derek Stingley Jr. and his hamstring? No, no, he's not going okay, to. Well, then that, that, he that wouldn't tell all- anybody anything about injuries. No, that, that's fine. I'm, it's not even about Nick answering the question. It's about the fact that everybody was ready to fire Nick after Derek Stingley Jr.'s hamstring went bulky again, and that was when they were 0-2. And, and now they're 3-1 and in their last four games, and nobody gives a rip about Derek Stingley Jr.'s hamstring or whether Nick is here for a month, a year, or a decade from now. You know, like they're all – like winning – Winning is the deodorant that cures everything, John. Like the, Derek Stingley Jr.'s hamstring was going to be the end of this franchise and the 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 sledgehammer on Nick Casario's career as a GM. And now here we are four weeks later, and all the people that are at the gates with their pitchforks and torches have all backed down because C.J. Stroud's amazing at football and Will Anderson's really good and this rookie class looks amazing and D'Amico Ryans is an awesome hire and all these things. Like They're not going to get them all right. I wish they got those two first round picks right in 2022. Who knows? Maybe they, maybe Stingley and Kenyon Green both pull the, the plane out of the nosedive here and they become great players. I just think it's funny how, how this, the, the, this, this one thing that was driving is Nick Casario going to get fired talk somehow gets cured by the fact that they're winning a bunch of fun. I'm glad that's the case. I don't think Nick should get fired myself. I, you know, I like, I think Nick, Nick's had a few he'd like back. I think Nick's done a lot of good things. Um, I just think it's the, the dynamic is very funny to me that all of a sudden you're winning games. So now st- you have a chance to talk to the GM of the team and nobody's bringing up this hamstring that was going to end Nick Casario's GM career a month ago. Yeah, I don't think, you know, the fact is they're, they're winning despite a lot of injuries to a lot of key players, including Stingley. Mm-hmm. And he's eligible to come back for the Carolina game. It'll be interesting to see if he does, because they could use him when he's healthy. But the key is, is he going to be hurt? every year for the rest of his career is Kenyon green going to be hurt every year for the rest of his career. Cause right now the first round of that draft was a total waste, but at least Stingley has a chance to come back and prove that he can do it. Every game on the schedule, just about every game is winnable, but every game is just 
could be losing is losable too. That's yeah, where they totally. are right now being mediocre three, three record, but everybody's fired up about it and they should be. It's fun to go back to NRG stadium every day and, and feel the energy that uh, permeates through the building. No doubt. No, no doubt about it. it. This is really fun to have, to have good football back. Absolutely. It is. And with a likable bunch, I mean, it's a really, it's a very likable team, you know, from head coach to the, to the, to the roster, you know, to the players, um, it's it's fun to root for these guys, no doubt this, about that. This is a sad day, as Landry Locker pointed out to me on In the Loop today. Mm-hmm. It is the one-year anniversary of Jack Easterby being fired. Yeah. So we should probably hang our heads in a okay. moment okay. of silence for Jack because once he once he was fired, you talk about pulling the pulling the plane out of the nosedive. It slowly started to go up again to ascend. And uh, it's been going up ever since. <laughs> John, let me ask you this. A year later, does the Jack Easterby era look more weird, less weird, or the same amount of weird for you? Now that we're a year removed from it and actually gotten to watch this team operate like a normal football team for an offseason and the beginning of a regular season now, uh, does it feel, in looking back at it now, does it feel like, uh, you know, like for me, it feels like a fever dream. Like I can't even believe that ever happened those three years or four years or whatever it was. I think three years, three and a half years. Is it more weird, less weird, same weird for you? It is uh, the weirdest uh, era during the franchise's history. And because I remember when he came in April of 2019, everybody was all fired up in the organization. We got Jack Easterby. And I'm like, who's Jack Easterby? He's been with the Patriots. He's won Super Bowl rings. And everybody was so fired. And as soon as as soon as he got in there, the body started falling, beginning oh. with Brian Gain and then Chris Olson. And then to think that he was the interim general manager after Bill O'Brien was fired and the enemies that he made. And it's a good thing that Nick Casario didn't listen to him on personnel decisions or no telling where they'd have been right now. And uh, but uh, it's uh, it's it's amazing that when you think about that, it's kind of a fog to think of what they were in, and they somehow found their way out thanks to the McNair family. Yeah, to I its mean, senses. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not just found their way out, but may have stumbled into a great young head coach and a great young quarterback too. Like came out came out on the other end, like Andy Dufresne coming out the other end of that pipe on Shawshank, man. Like D'Amico Ryans and Nick Casario scrubbing that boat together on the beaches as a Wataneo and hugging each other on the beach at the end of the movie. That's what this is. Um, Not as happy right now, John, for Astro fans, I would say. Um, Down 0-2 in the ALCS. This is territory that the Astros, during this run of Astros baseball, uh, starting back in 2017 when they started winning World Series championships. Um, they've only been down 0-2 once in an LCS before of the previous six they'd been in. It was during the COVID year. It was against the Tampa Bay Rays. They got down 3 nothing, came all the way back to tie the series, and then lost in, in seven games. Um, so I, I, this is – the COVID year is so weird that I do feel like this is new territory for this team. Um, what – what what do you take away from the first two games, John, that you feel like, okay, what, what like what's the easiest thing to turn around for this team where you feel like, okay, they can get they can get back in this thing against the Rangers? As bad as Fromber Valdez was, and that's four bad starts in a row, two in the playoffs, they still had so many chances to win the game. 
They couldn't hit with runners in scoring position. 0-6 in the second game, one for nine overall. Kyle Tucker's awful, hitting 0-91, putting his gloves on, taking the gloves off. Obviously, he's thinking about it. It's psyching him out. Altuve can't produce. And really, Jordan Alvarez, he's been fantastic. Whatever he got sick with, they should have shot him all up with it because it certainly didn't hurt him. And um, Chaz McCormick had one of the worst dead bats I've ever seen. He comes up, he got guys on base, thrown 12 balls in a row, swings at a bad pitch. You never swing in that situation. He was out on a bad pitch. So they are just horrendous with runners in scoring position. But maybe they've got the Rangers right where they want them, globe-like field, because the Astros just wretched at home, and then they're just awesome on the road. So if they win the first game on Wednesday, I think they can win two and bring it back here where they'll obviously lose because they're horrible at home. But uh, right now I don't have a lot of confidence in the hitters and the Rangers. They should be feeling the pressure and they're not. Mm-mm. It looks like the Astros are feeling the pressure, chasing, chasing bad pitches, making bad plays in the field, base running blunders. And Smart teams like the Astros don't usually make that, and the Rangers have such great hitting. They're, the biggest surprise for the Rangers is their bullpen that was so awful in September has just been great. I don't know what Bruce Bochy fed them or shot them up with or what, but that bullpen has been tremendous. But still, the Astros blew multiple chances to win that game. Yeah, this is a terrifying place for the Astros to be, John, because they we'd been saying throughout the last couple months of the season, like, all right, well, we know Verlander and Framberg are going to be the top two, and then we don't know what the hell is going to go on after that. I'm talking about when Javier was still in the doldrums of his awful second half that he was having, really second half, really going back to like the middle of June. He'd been terrible for them other than a start here and a start there. He'd been awful. So back when we back when I, I know I was saying, like, I feel like you have those two and then it's just a it's just uh, basically Thunderdome to find out who the other two starters are. Even if you're going to do two starters, maybe you're doing a bunch of bridging going on, uh, you know, piggybacking situation going on with starters. By the end of the year, Javier and Urquidy had shown themselves in their last couple of starts to be the guys that you want in that spot. And they were a big reason why you were able to close out the Minnesota Twins. That said, this is a terrifying spot to be in right now because the two guys you thought you could count on in the rotation, you didn't win either of their games. Verlander's game wasn't his fault. You know, Verlander pitched a good game. They, a normal Astros offensive game wins that game with Justin Verlander pitching in the bullpen being lights out how they were, but you didn't. Like, you you, you know, you used up a start of his, and then Framber, I, I know he had a lot of bad luck early in that game, but I'm sorry, when you commit two errors on one play, that allows a, a gateway for the other team to score four runs in the first inning. That's part of this whole weird regression of Fromber in this 2023 season. So that's the scariest part to me is that you're now, you're now having like, you're really banking on getting at least five good innings out of each of these guys, you know, five out of Javier and five out of Urquidy. I feel like if they get to the bullpen, they're going to be in good shape. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. They just need, they, I don't they, I don't need all three of them in front of Jordan to start hitting. I need one of them to start getting on base. So these home runs are three-run home runs and not solo home runs. Maybe you need to put Brantley in the top three. Maybe put him in the two-hole. Like yeah, I mean, you're not going to move Altuve out of the leadoff spot. Dusty's not going to do that. Um and, and yeah, you're right. I mean, maybe you do move Brantley up. I don't know. It would look like a panic move if you did, but I don't think I really care what it looks like at this point. I think, and I honestly, John, you mentioned Chaz, like if the, he wants to swap Dubon in for Chaz, I'm a hundred percent Absolutely. For at this point. Yeah. One thing that's interesting, if it say it goes seven, I don't think it will, but say it does. I believe Fromber would be the guy to start here and he's been Game terrible. Six. He'd be starting six. Well, my God, who'd be starting seven? Javier. So Javier, yeah. Romber was starting six here. Would anybody have any confidence in him? No. Uh, would he possibly go to a bullpen game? No. So it would be because he, I've never seen a pitcher, a good pitcher like Romber Valdez, who who gets who loses it so quickly based on things like umpires' calls and things that go on around him. Where Javier is such a cool customer. That's one reason I think he's pitched uh, two no-hitters on the road, started them, and been so good on the road. I'd rather have him in the situation he's in right now. But, boy, if they have to come back to Fromber and win, they're going to be in trouble because could he turn it around all of a sudden? We haven't seen any indication he's capable of doing that, and it's inexplicable. You can be so great pitching a no-hitter, and then all of a sudden the next game you're terrible, and from that point on, your best is mediocre. Yeah, he's John, he's got a lot of soul searching to do this offseason for Amber, regardless of how this season ends up for the for the Astros. You know, he's he's got to figure some things out because he was just he's a guy you count on. And he he's arrived at a point where you can't count on him anymore. If you're gonna compete at the level the Astros want to compete at, you can't have a number two starter that is just this shaky, that's this helter skelter. Um, so I'm with you on that. All right, so Astros get it going again. Uh, on Wednesday, Wednesday night, game three, Christian Javier. Let's go. All right, Stros, you, you scored 39 runs in this stadium last time you were there in three games. Let's let's uh, let's reach back into that that satchel, whatever it was you were eating that weekend. Eat it again this weekend. <laughs> All right, John. Uh, we love doing general news and notes before we get to the mailbag. We do general news and notes on a uh, on a Tuesday edition of the uh, podcast here. So, what do you got for us, John? Texas are three and one over their last four games, and they're three and three for the first time since 2019 when they won their last AFC South title, beat Buffalo in a wild card game before spitting the bit in Kansas City. So the key is that team went 10 and six. Does this team have a chance to go 10 and six? And I went back over the schedule, and I, boy, I, I can find 10 wins on that schedule. What do you think? Okay, well, let's do this. I like this. Hang on a second. Let me pull the schedule up here. Let's do this exercise. Because you and I do this before the season, John. So I like this that we're doing it now with uh, with three wins already <laughs> three wins already in the books. 
and uh, a lot more intel on what this team actually is and may be. And obviously, you and I are we're assuming health for C.J. Stroud in any sort of analysis like this, right, John? I know I absolutely am. You have to. Yeah, you got to. All right, so let's let's play this game. I'm going to let you do the honors, John. I'm going to read the games here, and you tell me, in the eyes of the general, where does this team <clears throat> wind up? They're <clears throat> excuse me, three and three right now at Carolina. I think they'll win that one. Be four and three. Home for Tampa Bay. Victory five and three. Five and three, and then at Cincinnati. Lost five yeah, and four. You've already spoken on that. You've guaranteed a loss in that game, John, in the previous episode of the podcast. Hey, John, can I tell you something about that game real quick? Sure. We hit pause, five and four at Cincinnati. Um, Let me see if this changes your mind at all, okay, about that Cincinnati game. Does it change your mind at all, John, that the Bengals are also on a bye this week? So they've got the same flow of the schedule as the Texans here. So they're going to be three and three coming out of the bye week. Does it change your handicap on that game at all, John, that the – Bengals' first two games out of the bye are at San Francisco and then home for Buffalo. Then they play the Texans prior to traveling to Baltimore and hosting the Steelers. Ooh. So on the on the front end, <laughs> on the front end of the Texans, you're playing two of the, I would say, five best teams in football, maybe six best teams, San Francisco and Buffalo. And then on the back end of the Texans, you're playing two division games, including a road game at Baltimore the very next week. I don't know, John. That's got a chance for me to be like the Texans being dropped into that mix, even though they might be five and three at that point. Sure does feel like one of these things is not like the other for Cincinnati, especially with at Baltimore sitting the following week. That's got look ahead written all over it to me. It does. And they could be beaten up physically. But as long as Joe Burrow's healthy with all those weapons he's got, I'm picking them over the Texans. Okay. But but you're are you still guaranteeing it, though, John? Sure. Okay. All right, so five and four. Um, then they've got three in a row at home, John. Home for Arizona. Victory. Home for Jacksonville. Now, boy, that November 26 game could be big, big, big. Texans would be they, six and four in the McLean book at that point. They own the Jaguars in Jacksonville, mm-hmm. and I'm going to say that that Jaguar is going to win that game, and that'll make them six and five. Home for Denver. Victory. At New York, the Jets have been plucky the last couple of weeks. Watching the Jets, I've, I've had that as a loss all along because Aaron Rodgers, but watching the Jets' defense and the running game, and if Zach Wilson just doesn't beat them, I'm going to say they're going to lose to the Jets. Okay, so 7-6 and six at Tennessee. They're going to split with them, and they've been winning at Tennessee, and the Titans got big-time problems. They're going to win that one. They'll win that one. Okay, so you're going to – because they play Tennessee again at home two weeks after that. Yeah, so you're when gonna they see those Columbia blue, they're going to see red. Okay, but that means they lose at home to Tennessee a little later. Right. Uh, okay, so you think they split those two Tennessee – in between they play Cleveland at home. I'm assuming Deshaun Watson's going to be back, and Cleveland also has a great defense. And uh, Cleveland won here last year, but, boy – I'm going to say they're going to lose here to Cleveland again. Okay, so you you've got okay. So let me make sure I'm counting this right. So you so they were five and four after Cincy, six and four Arizona, six and five Jacksonville, seven and five Denver. You have them losing to the Jets. You said right, John? Right. Seven and seven six. And seven. So you got them seven and six and seven and seven, and then you got them losing to Cleveland would be seven and eight. And then you've got them beating Tennessee. You got them winning one of those two Tennessee games. 
eight and eight going to Indianapolis in the final game of the year. And they'll win that one, finish nine and eight. Nine and so eight. Could they could they win ten? Sure, they could win ten games. But those deep when they're playing the Jets and the Browns and their defenses are great right now. I think it's the great defense that'll give them more problems than a great offense because this yeah. defense has shown it can play well when it has to. But and I just you know how many great offenses are they going to play? Maybe the Bengals if they're healthy, and that's it. I think you're giving Tennessee way too much credit. I think Tennessee by the well, end that's of the about year, John. Mike Vrabel. That's just I think Vrabel is such yeah. a good coach. They'll find a way to win. And I've got a great stat about Derrick Henry and their offense. Uh, in it coming up in a minute. Okay, sounds good. So nine and eight. That that that's where I've recal. I I I haven't gone through game by game like you just did. It just feels like a nine and eight football team right now. You know they 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 still got too many issues, John. They're you know not. I don't know if you have any of these in your news and notes. If you do, I'm hijacking them, but it'll, it'll give us a chance to talk. I don't know if you've seen this, but like they're 26th in the red zone. They're 30th in yards per carry, and they're 30th in sacks on defense. Like they're they're at or near the bottom of the league in some really important metrics, which makes their three and three record right now, all the more amazing. Like if somebody had told me back in July at training camp, like the first week of training camp, or we're watching CJ Stroud look like a rookie. If someone had said, Hey, guess what? At the bye week they're going to stink in the red zone. They're going to stink in the run game. And they're not going to be able to get the quarterback on the ground defensively. What do you think their record is? And I'm watching five, right. I'm watching CJ Stroud out here holding the ball way too long in 11 on 11 drills that have been like, yeah, one and five. Yeah. They'll, they'll win one of those games against one of those crap teams that they're playing, but that's it. And they're three and they're three and three and they're three and one in their last four, which is the big thing for me. I love looking at it in four week windows like that. Like they're in the last four weeks, they're one of the, like, like it's an understatement to say they're one of the better teams in football the last four weeks. Like they're a the last four weeks. They are a very, very good football team. And they're one of only two teams in the NFL that hadn't allowed a fourth down conversion. Um, next one, betonline.com, which we both get every week. Yep. Uh, C.J. Stroud, they said, strengthened his hold on offensive rookie of the year. Yes. And D'Amico, this is interesting. When D'Amico, on, on March the 21st, D'Amico, the odds of being coach of the year were 20 to 1. Mm -hmm. When he started 0-2, the odds were 40 to 1. And now he is number three at seven to one behind Dan Campbell and Mike McDaniel. Who would you vote for of those three, John? Dan Campbell. You would? Like Dan Campbell. It, it, I think right now the Lions are the most complete team in the NFL. I've got another note coming up on them, several notes coming up on them, but I think they're the most complete team. They're on a roll offensively and defensively. And I think, uh, after watching Philadelphia get beat by the Jets and then the 49ers lose to P.J. Walker, I think it won't surprise me at all if Detroit doesn't end up with the best record, especially playing in a dog division. Well, give me some of this Detroit, John, that you're promising me. Come on, give it to me. Give it, give it to me, Detroit Lion drug dealer. Give me, give me. The Lions have rushed for more than 350 yards in every game. Their defense is given wait, up. Wait, wait, hold up, back up, back up, back up. They've rushed for. I'm sorry, they're. The Lions have generated more than 350 yards every game. It's like, holy Thank you. Crap. That'd I be Jameer pretty Gibbs good rushing two, game. I have Jameer Gibbs on two of my fantasy teams. <laughs> that does not match the eye test. Well, they need him to play, and he didn't play, and they still won, beat, yep. beat up Tampa. And Aaron Glenn's defense, they've had 20 or fewer points for the fourth time this season, and they've scored 20 or more 
in 15 consecutive games. So they got wow. it going on on both sides of the ball. Okay, so that begs the question, are Dan Campbell's two coordinators the hottest two head coaching prospects as of right now for the next non-retread, like non like, you know, like Frank Reich, Sean Payton, like now I'm talking about first time head coaches are Aaron Glenn. And is it, what is it? Ben Johnson, Ben Johnson, who interviewed with the Texans said he wanted to go back and get another year of coordinator experience. He'll be a head coach. And then Aaron Glenn got off to a slow start last year and they were terrible early last year. Then they turned it around and one reason was because of Aaron Glenn's defense had played so much better. And it's interesting because Aaron's got a little gray in his hair. Mm-hmm. That kind of makes him look a little wiser. And so I think uh, Dan Campbell's going to learn the price of success. And I think in another year, that D'Amico Ryan's is going to learn the price of success and lose Bobby Slowick. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm afraid of too. But are those, so you think those two lion coordinators are probably the t- maybe the Absolutely. two coaching prospects? And it doesn't matter what retreads are out there. Okay, yeah, yeah. No, that's uh, I'm with you on that. The Lions, I and I, you know what? Most of the time when the, you got these good teams like this, I root against them just because out of jealousy, if nothing else, because the Texans have been so bad the last few years. I can't bring myself to hate the Detroit Lions, mostly no. because. Mostly because I can relate to the Detroit Lions and their fans from the last couple of years with the Texans. I, feel I like think it's our a own. great story. More and more of their fans are going on the road. I love their blue uniforms, blue and gray. Okay, I got one more here okay. that is very interesting. Um, Derrick Henry, you know, he he, how he goes, so goes Ryan Tannehill. Tannehill's out with a sprained ankle, will not require surgery. I'm guessing they're going to go with Malik Willis over Will Levis, but it's only a matter of time before they play Levis. And uh, Derrick Henry, when he faced a light box in their game against the Ravens, that's six six or fewer, he had a 63-yard run. When he faced a heavy box, seven or more, he was 11 carries for 34 yards. So common sense tells you, when Derrick Henry is on the field, have seven or eight players in the box, and you got a really good chance of shutting them down. What you don't want to get is last year when you get low-scoring games with them and Vrabel's defense and their special teams keep those games close, and then they went on like a field goal. Yeah. But, man, they're in bad shape because Tannehill, who hadn't done much anyway, but Derrick Henry now with an offensive line, it's been terrible. It's been totally rebuilt. It's terrible. And it makes you appreciate the Texans even more. All those injuries they've suffered in their offensive line, they haven't complained about it, haven't talked about it. And yet they're still three and three and three and one in the last four. Yeah, that's why, John, that's why I think I think the Titans are screwed if Tannehill is hurt for any period of time here. Like I think the I there's a good chance of those two Titan games in week 15 and 17, the Texans are looking at all due respect of Rabel, looking at one of the bottom five or six teams in the NFL. I think the Titans suck. Well, I think they will be, and I think they'll be playing Will Levis, but I just don't think they'll sweep them. That's why I think they'll go nine and eight. If John, if the Texans are playing for something and they lose to a team quarterback by Will Levis in the last month of the season, <laughs> that's a disaster. As as it will be. Get rid disaster. of Nick Casario. Fire him. You're predicting he should have drafted Levis instead of Stroud. <laughs> <laughs> You're predicting disaster, my friend. All right, John, good stuff on the news and notes as always. It's always a fun spin around the rest of the NFL. It's good stuff. Um, you want to hit a couple mailbag questions let's here on the way it. out, my friend? All right, sure. let's do it. 
Um, uh, we HOU mailbag at gmail.com, HOU mailbag at gmail.com. Jot it down. Send us some questions here. We've got a handful of them. Uh, from uh, we got a few regulars, then we got a few more from some folks who are checking in for the first time. Chris in the ATL, a regular. Halloween is the season for dressing up, and you can get some dynamic duo superhero costumes. So, who is the Texans' dynamic duo that deserves the most credit for the improvement shown by this team so far? Chris, you're the best. Who is the du- dynamic duo, John, that deserves the most credit? You ready? D'Amico and Nick, CJ and Bobby, Cal and Hannah. Well, they wouldn't have had, um, oh boy, uh, Callahan got rid of, of uh, Jack Easterby. They yeah. let Nick Serio hire the head coach he wanted, draft the quarterback he wanted. So I'm going to say uh, Callahan and McNair. Callahan, okay, I like that because they, yeah, they're. I mean, they're making good decisions. They they were the decision maker on pretty much, uh, pretty much all these things. I, I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to say, you know what? I'm going to say CJ and Bobby because right now this is a team that I think overall is still not a great roster. I still think the holes on this team are pretty like the whole, the, the, the deficiencies they have are still pretty pronounced deficiencies. I think CJ and by proxy, Bobby Slowick, who's pushing all the buttons. I, I think CJ early on in his career, John has become a quarterback that masks deficiencies on a team especially offensively, like their ability to game plan and score points to actually be a top third of the league offense, which they've been statistically with no semblance of a running game at all is the reason they're three and three right now. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say CJ and Bobby, that'd be my pick right there. And they were two of four in the red zone and they've been pathetic in the red zone. So that's an improvement. Chris also asks a fun question. Do you guys have a favorite Halloween costume that you wore as either a kid or an adult? Do you have one, John? I was always the devil because my mother said I was a little devil. Wait, hold on. You were every year you were the devil when you were a kid. No way. We were so poor we couldn't afford more than one costume. So I had to wear it every year till I wore it out. Okay. What was the I wore it out when I was getting my first kiss. Because something may have happened biologically. Nothing, that, nothing happened. Nothing happened. Okay. I got a kiss, but okay. we we're laying in the dirt and the grass, and I and it just kind of, kind of came apart. It, it ripped <laughs> in all the wrong places. In a strategic spot. <laughs> um, my favorite one that I had, John, as a as a mine was as an adult. Um, I went to a Halloween party one year as Aaron Hernandez doing the perp walk out of his house in uh, in Massachusetts where he had, remember he had the, remember he had the, the white t-shirt on, but his arms were tucked inside of it because they were handcuffed and he had the red, the long red gym shorts (laughs) on. And I painted my, my hairline just like his, you know, straight hairline that he had. So I walked around at the party doing the uh, doing it. How many times you have to explain who the heck you were? Yeah, John, it was very. If you look at the calendar, it was a pretty like at the time. I think it was a pretty relevant costume. You know what I mean? Like I think, I think the timing of Aaron Hernandez and that all going down was was close enough to where people knew what it was I was doing because he stayed relevant long after they walked him out of that house. I mean, he, he was did. a big story for a long, long time. So that Too was probably long. yeah, yeah, probably, probably. Well. Not so much anymore, unless you go to Chandler Jones's Twitter account, and then Aaron Hernandez is popping back up there. But that's another story for another time. Uh, all right, John, Joe Q, another regular emailer. Um, what are John's sources telling him about the Carolina Panthers? And he kind of summarizes here. He said, you know, they brought in Fitterer, 
who oversaw the Darnold trade and the big trade with the Bears. And they gave up a lot of draft capital to get Bryce Young. They've lost every game by at least eight points while playing in a mediocre division. And Bryce Young, he says, statistically looks a lot like David Carr back in the day. Um, And uh, he says, he basically ends by saying, why would we not expect a house cleaning in Carolina at the end of the year? Is that if this is what holds up knowing how David Tepper operates, John, do you have people in Carolina you talk to or your thoughts on the Carolina Panthers right now? There's no way they're going to have a house cleaning in Carolina after one season. People think that uh, Frank Reich, he's now turned, he's given the play calling to Thomas Brown, who's never called plays before, first-time coordinator. And Bryce Young has a terrible offensive line. That's not his fault. He's thrown some interceptions, but he just threw two touchdown passes. And everybody thinks he's going to be good because he's really smart and but he's off to a tough start because he doesn't have a receiver. They traded his best receiver, and they need draft choices. So what? Uh, it's going to be interesting because you know they gave the Bears their pick, and yeah. the Bears are going to be able. They're going to have to decide on Justin Fields and if, and what they want to do with those picks. But man, they're in trouble, and they think that Reich's. Offense is outdated for what Bryce Young is best for. Most of the blame's going on him, but they just don't have a lot of talent. Texans could win that game over there because they did beat Jacksonville on the road. They could have, should have beaten Atlanta on the road. Well, they can certainly beat Carolina, and this is going to be so much fun to watch Stroud versus Young and think, where will those two be in four years? Yeah, that's a great tip, Ben. It is a great hypothetical. It is It is. Fun to be on this side of it. I'll say that. Like, I don't know how much fun it is. That's the truth. Carolina right now. Um, all right, John, a few more here in the mailbag, and then we'll get up and out of here. William in Sharpstown, given performance and the fact that he's on the first year of his rookie contract, do the Texans have the best quarterback situation in the National Football League right now? Well, they're going to have about a – they're going to have 80 to $100 million available in all season. Casario will use that to sign – players to extensions, maybe Jonathan Grenard, Nico Collins. Grenard would need new contract because his contract's up, and that would call it be costly. And uh, so I think, yes, of all the young quarterbacks in the league, you think they, they, you know, they're better off in Chicago. Some other teams have young quarterbacks who were first-round picks. It's amazing how many teams still need quarterbacks. Yeah, well, I – John, some of them are teams that have paid quarterbacks. Like Denver needs a quarterback. They paid Russell Wilson $250 million. Arizona needs a quarterback. They paid Kyler Murray. You know, it's it, it's it's a little scary. Um, the Giants paid Daniel Jones, not as much as these other teams paid guys, but they still paid him a lot of money. They're stuck with him for at least another year, assuming his neck works. Um, I, You know, the question was, do they have the best QB situation in the National Football League? And I would say, well, of course not. I, you know, Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs, like that's – like Mahomes, Jalen Hurts, guys like that. I, I do think there are some guys, like I do think, you know, like I know Justin Herbert's really super, super, super talented. He's never won anything. You know, like even last night's game against the Cowboys, like he's the least scary, hyper-talented looking quarterback that I've ever seen. Like even some of these teams that have decided to go ahead and pay guys, I think would would be like, oh, okay, wait, okay like Baltimore with Lamar Jackson. Like Lamar Jackson is a former MVP. He's a very good football player, but he runs a lot. He's small. He still hasn't really done anything in the postseason yet. One win. Yeah. Like, 
if I was Baltimore and like the gods came down and said, Hey, um, you can, uh, you, you can swap out Lamar Jackson and his $50 million a year contract for CJ Stroud, who's making 8 million a year for the next four years. What, what, what do you say? Like, of I think there's a chance. Take Stroud. Yeah. Like, that's what I mean. Like, so I don't think it's the best in the national football league, but I do think it's among, like, I think there's only like three or four quarterbacks who I would say are a better situation. I'm not saying there's only three or four I would say are better than CJ Stroud. I'm saying when you factor in the price tag, that's what, that's what to me is, is putting, that puts the most pressure on Nick Casario is now we know, okay, you got a quarterback who's, you got the most coveted asset in all of football, which is a high performing young quarterback who's cheap for at least four years. And so now you got to make it happen. Like you got to go make it happen. And that's where, man, like you brought it up, John, like that cap space this off season, boy, as much as we've been into the draft the last few years and we still will be this year, like that first day of free agency for Texan fans is going to be bananas in March. Two guys going to get big contracts in off season to a tongue of Iloa and uh, Jared Goff. Jared Goff has played so much better. He was a throw in on the Matthew Stafford trade, take him a year. Then you're terrible. You draft a quarterback with your first pick and golf's a backup, and he's been tremendous working with Ben Johnson. And uh, two, of course, if he can stay healthy, no telling what kind of money he's going to get because that offense is best in the NFL. That's scary, though, man, all those concussions and everything, giving him $50 million a year. I know it's been fine this year, but that's just a – it's like a scary dark cloud just lurking over the whole thing. All right, quickly, John, a couple more. Austin is in Stafford. Weird question I know for a football podcast. What do you guys think of the ump camp? on the Fox broadcast. What do you think of the ump cam, John, the camera on top of the umpire? When, when Yordan hit that home run, I know, um, I think it was two games ago and they had the ump cam on. I thought it was great. It makes you dizzy. They don't do it too much, but I like the vantage point. I don't like it live. Like it, just show me the regular angle live. I think it's cool on replays, like specific replays. I, I agree. Yes. Like, I don't like it live. I don't know what's with these networks. that feel like there's certain angles they need to show us like to empty the chamber. Like, no, like in basketball where they show free throws being shot with a bird's eye cam looking down at the rim, like down into the rim. I'm like, no, just show me as if I'm standing there watching in the arena. Like I don't need to know what it looks like over the top of the rim. Um, they get a little fancy sometimes with their angles. That's not even a get off your lawn thing. I've talked to younger people who feel the same way, like this ump camp thing when it's live, I just, just show me the play. Um, so I'm with you on that. Last one, John, Mark and League City. So what do you guys do on the bye week since you actually get a Sunday to yourselves? John, what are you going to do on the bye week this week? Uh, I'm going to be at, uh, with my wife uh, just outside Annapolis, Maryland, watching games, hopefully watching the Astros. And um, and I'll do, be doing all my talk shows and podcasts and everything up there. And then I'm coming back on Monday. Nice. Okay. So you're getting away for a little bit. I am too. Amy and I are going to – Amy and I go to a different NFL – venue each year during the bye week so we went to green bay two years ago we went to kansas city last year for kansas city and buffalo this year we are going to the atlanta falcons versus the tampa bay buccaneers much to the jealousy and fomo and chagrin of our producer james jackson who is a diehard diehard tampa bay bucks fan so he's super jealous of me um but we're going. We're actually going to Disney for a couple of days, and then we're going to the Bucks game on Sunday. My wife's a big Disney nerd. But to answer the the uh, emailer's question, um, we that's what we do. We 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 take the one Sunday where we're, you and I are not covering NFL football, John. Amy and I take it to go watch more NFL football. And what is Amy's favorite Halloween costume? She well, okay, John. She used to be 
uh, you know, she used to bartend in Midtown at Pub Fiction. So there's some like dirty, nasty costumes of Amy floating around on the internet from back in the day. Those are my favorite Amy costumes. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> Doesn't Naughty really librarian. But, no, well, probably a dirty librarian. You know what I mean? Like the librarian looks like a librarian from like here up, but from like here down, she looks like she's ready to go to Heartbreakers down in uh, Dickinson. So yeah, um, she she had a. Uh, you know what? We never got to use this costume. I forget why. She bought a costume to be the Khaleesi one year from Game of Thrones, like Ooh, a blonde wig a and everything one, yeah. else. Yeah, I don't know why. We, we For whatever reason, we didn't end up going to a Halloween party that year. Um, but James says he's hopping in my suitcase for the game. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Meet James and Amy. Yeah, James, you got to go to Disney World, too. That's just so you know. You got to do the whole thing. So, yeah, no, but she was supposed to be Khaleesi one year. And uh, I don't know why we didn't go, but she reminds me of it all the time. Like, I still got this Khaleesi costume that uh, is not relevant anymore. I'm like, I know, I know. Yeah, why do you need Halloween to dress up in a Khaleesi costume? I know, costume? I know. I'm just going to, she's going to come home today. I'm going to have the Game of Thrones music playing. I'll close all the blinds and say, go put your Khaleesi costume on. Let's you go. Can, you can I'll, be Drago. I'll be Jon Snow. <laughs> I'll, yeah. Cal Drago. Cal Drago. Cal Drago was nastier than Jon Snow. Yeah. Cal Drago was into some stuff. He was yeah. a real man. <laughs> He was into it. Oh, all right, John. What, what do you got going on on uh, all your various platforms? SportsRadio610.com. I'm working on a column on the Astros, and then I will have one on uh, SportsRadio610.com Wednesday on Nick Casario, D'Amico Ryans, how they work together as talent evaluators and how their free agent and moves and draft choices are working out really, really well. Oh, I can't wait to read that one because it had, you're right. I think we talked about that on the last podcast. Like it's where I got the idea. Okay. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> it's, it's, I say you're welcome. You probably brought it up and then I dovetailed. No, off you of brought it, it up. I did. Okay. Well, good stuff. Uh, well, I look forward to reading that because it sounds like it was an amazing idea that, that it generated. <laughs> <laughs> um, so sportsradio610.com is where you can find all of John's great work. You can find both of us on Twitter at McLean underscore on underscore NFL. I am at Sean T. Pendergast. Big thanks to our producer, James Jackson, who gets his podcast out to all of you. A reminder, wherever you're listening to it, be sure to download the Odyssey app. If you're not listening to it on the Odyssey app, that's where you can listen to Payne and Pendergast and all the shows on 610, all of the podcasts as well. Either way, wherever you listen to your podcast, hit the subscribe button so that you get the podcast automatically. We appreciate everybody tuning in for what's turning into a somewhat magical Texan season. As I get ready to go to the Magic Kingdom this weekend, I am already feel like I'm living in one already with the Houston Texans at 3-3, three and three, John. It's a magical season. Sir. Have fun. Well, we'll talk. We'll do another one of these. Thursday. Thursdays. Yep, we'll do another one Thursday. And John and I are going to kind of do a recap of the season so far with the Texans. Report cards, position groups. Who's, uh, who's playing well, who's not. We're going to kind of do sort of a kind of a, a, a uh, taking inventory at the bye week of the Houston Texans. We'll do that. And we'll do some for real if you gaze in the next one as well. So stay tuned for that later on this week. For James Jackson and John McClain, I'm Sean Pendergast. We are out of time. We are done. We will see all of you later this week for the next episode of the Utopia Football Podcast. Thank you for listening.